Welcome to another episode of Dying for Midnight, DFM. Be mindful of your surroundings while tuning in. There might be a fellow listener, and they're a lot closer than you think. Now, grab some holy water and pray for dawn, or a more capable bouncer. Ha 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 ha. Hey there, dear listener. Thank you for joining us. What did you all think of the uh, new opening theme? Let us know. I've, uh, Kara, I've been excited to start using that theme. The synth background, as you know, is brought to you by White Bat Audio. Um, that track is called Alone in the Dark. Now, Jake, the Midnight Traveler, did us one better and layered three guitars over it. And Jake, I know I'm oversimplifying the work you put into it. So special thanks goes out to Jake. That's that's going to be our theme moving forward. Yeah. Thank you, Jake. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Yeah, I love it. It's so moody and eerie. So guys, it's September. Uh, happy September to everyone listening and happy Labor Day weekend. Hope everyone is going to be enjoying a long weekend and at least get that day off to do whatever the hell you want. Um, we've got two special guests with us here again. They're back. They Earlier this season, they did our uh, episode of um, Demon Knight from Tales from the Crypt, and they uh, riffed on the Lost Boys that are in our Beach Party Bonfires and Blood Month. So we're moving right along. We've got Zombie Toots. Say hi to us. Zombie Toots, what's up? Hi, everybody. Ghostly Puppers. You look comfy over there. Yes, I most certainly do. Um, good morning, guys. Okay, they are going to help just for maybe five or ten minutes, tell us uh, some of their favorite moments from this upcoming movie. Um, Carrie, what do you love about September? What don't I love about September? <laughs> September. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently I need more coffee. Um, September. That could be a month. <laughs> Movies uh, about poo. <laughs> I don't think we should. Um, I think we could pass on that. Well, and, and so... Uh, I'll I'll go to our young horror duo over here, Ghostly Puppers. What do you love about not only September but Labor Day weekend? Parents get to go off, and um, I get to spend time with my family. Wait a second, we get to go, go off? off, go off somewhere, Wait, go off you, on you. <laughs> off of work for one day. You're right. You're right. Yeah, we get a long weekend. And I just love September because it turns fall, and I'm sick and tired of this heat, and I'm ready for fall so okay zombie toots how about you what do you like about labor day weekend or um, any holiday like weekend you your parents get to like stop working and they get to do what you want to do yeah yeah okay. how, how would you like for me to make some of those special chocolate chip cookies that you guys love oh yeah the the, the wink wink quote quote regular chocolate chip, chip cookies. cookies that i thought oh, he might be on to us what what about are we gonna have to reveal chocolate? Oh, yeah. yeah. The, oh, yeah. <laughs> chocolate, too. Dang, he's getting a list together for this yeah. Labor Day. Okay. And I already know we have apple cider on the list. Yeah, I, I got to go yes. with everybody's answer. It's the obvious one. Okay. So, uh, obviously, the three-day weekend is awesome. I, I love that feeling of waking up Sunday knowing, oh, yeah, 
I still get a whole other evening. I don't have to worry about getting up for work the next day. But um, going back to the subject at hand, which is this horror pod, uh, not only do we have the new main theme, yeah, I, I see you, Carrie. You've got your Welcome to Fright Night Jerry Dandridge shirt on. But uh, we're, we're going to do things a little bit differently here at DFM moving forward. There's some slight changes, additions. You guys might hear not only the new theme, but we're going to have some sound effects to go along with our... Uh, different segments uh, i've got some things coming maybe from like some romero films that we're going to incorporate as as uh kind of part of our soundboard moving forward but um so you know jake not only on this theme but he just a wonderful job every week doing the midnight traveler segment um he gives an overview of the film which he's kind of blessed us with not having to do and he does it probably way more efficiently that at least I ever would, because yeah, I know you're begging, you're hoping that I go off track so you can hit that xylophone. But um, he created a monster. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he not only does the overview for us, but he tells his personal tales of first encounters with these horror films that we're talking about. So from here on out, Jake the Midnight Traveler is going to kick us off at the start of every episode. The male wolf, I imagine, is going to change and evolve as well. And uh, for you guys that haven't noticed yet, actually, Zombie Toots is the one that does our male wolf howl. So, um, technically, Zombie Toots, you're kind of not just a zombie. You're part werewolf, too, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, real, not too loud. Do the male wolf howl for us, Zombie Toots. Ow! That's a good one. Okay. Yeah. Someday that male wolf will, It'll will change. change. <laughs> male wolf will go through <laughs> a little deeper. puberty. It'll be, uh, it'll be crackling. Um, Carrie, kick off the announcement of our episode number, title, and the movie that we're talking about today. We're at episode 29, or what we at Dying for Midnight like to call Nick Savage Rocks. And we are talking <laughs> Tom Holland's 1985 Fright Night. Okay, let's hear first. Like we said, we're going to switch it up now. Jake the Midnight Traveler. What does he have to say about this Tom Holland 1985 vampire in a modern 80s world classic? Case and Carrie. I have just been fired because nobody wants to see vampire killers anymore, or vampires either. Apparently, all they want to see are demented madmen running around in ski masks, hacking up young virgins. Yeah, I could have gone with a shorter, more memorable line to open with, but I always thought that this one never got enough love, so that's where I chose to start this letter. Greetings, my fiendish friends of fright. It's Jake. The Midnight Traveler here again to delve into another delicious delicacy of delightful doom and death. Tonight we head back to the 80s for another hit. One that put classic with the current once again with a awesome 80s soundtrack, which is playing while I write this, and more questionable fashion choices than a 19th century funeral. Tonight we take a look into 1985's Fright Night. We here, at Dying for Midnight, have spoken about self-aware horror before, and will most likely do so again. It was a natural progression as the duration of time that horror movies spent within the zeitgeist of our society made it pretty much inevitable. However, at this time in the game, we were still about a decade away from full immersion in this concept a la Scream, but there were a few times where the mirror was pointed back at us and there was most definitely something in the reflection. This was one of those times. 
It was another late night on Lindisfarne Drive in the family room overlooking the woods at the edge of our property that I took in this film in its entirety. Now, by now I was well into high school and living a life not too dissimilar from the film's protagonist, Charlie Brewster. A bit of a weirdo who spends way too much time watching horror movies, much to the dismay of his girlfriend. That was me to a T. Except for the girlfriend part, which was practically illegal for me back then. Trust me, if the photos ever show up, you'll know what I mean. Still, the film's hero was an everyman not too dissimilar from the character that Jimmy Stewart wound up playing in Rear Window. This time, another night finds our hero staying up too late, but now he thinks he sees something out of one of his horror films. But this time, it's right next door, and it's on his side of the screen. What would you do? This is the world that we are thrust into from the mind of writer-director Tom Holland, who executes it all beautifully. He really hit it out of the park with the casting here. William Ragsdale is perfect as our aforementioned hero, Charlie Brewster. A pre-married with children Amanda Bierce is here as his long-suffering girlfriend, Amy. Chris Sarandon as the evil vampire, Jerry Dandridge. <laughs> and there's a couple of more he people here on the cast that deserve special attention. Aiding Charlie in his crusade against the suckers of the blood is his late-night horror hero, Peter Vincent played by the absolute legend, Roddy McDowell, who really classes up this thing. While on both the good and bad sides of this fight, we have, who turns out to be the true icon of the film, one Stephen Jeffries as Evil Ed, the even weirder best friend of our hero, who, spoiler alert, winds up succumbing to the dark side. I don't think I'm alone in saying that there are times in the film where the rest of the cast is operating at about a seven. And Evil Ed comes on the screen at about a solid 90 with no signs of slowing down for anyone or anything. Yeah, it can be a bit much, but damn, it's fun. And this movie, on top of all this, is one of the best examples of vampirism in modern society that you could possibly ask for. And what really makes this work is the fact that Holland took the time to flesh out strong characters and establish intimate relationships between said characters. This gives the entire film a stronger impact on the viewer. As you can tell, the writing really went the extra mile to make sure that these characters were relatable. These were your classmates and neighbors as well as characters on the screen. To me, that's the real secret to the success of this film. Another thing was the makeup and effects. Top notch all the way around. And in doing my research into this, I came across something on IMDb that I thought I'd share. Quote, While blocking a scare scene, director Tom Holland asked visual effects man Randall William Cook if he could devise a shark mouth for one of the vampires. There was neither time nor money left in the budget to create an elaborate prosthetic, but Cook agreed to concoct a rig over a weekend with a proviso that it would only be on screen for a few seconds. <laughs> Ultimately, 
The crudely made mouthpiece was not only featured extensively in the film, it was also utilized in the movie's famous poster art. Quote, I couldn't have said it better myself. That makeup wasn't quite like anything else that we'd seen at this point, and this film did boast one of the absolute best posters to promote it. Chances are you've already seen it. That vampire face appearing in the clouds over an intricate painting of Charlie's house all but forces one to buy a ticket and take the ride. And what a ride this was. This hit on the whole angle of your favorite horror film coming to life. And you are the main target. I gotta be honest, I'm not sure I'd fare as well as I'd like against a real-life vampire. But then again, my love of garlic may just be my saving grace. So consider this another piece of essential viewing for everyone and anyone out there. This is one of the best to curl up with popcorn and candy on a dark night and take in the beauty of it. After all, this one stars your friends and neighbors and a bloodthirsty vampire who lives next to you. See you next midnight, Jake. The info about the Jaws prosthetic is an important point that you made. And because of this, I'm going to mention the 2011 remake with uh, Anton Yelkin, Colin Farrell, which, we, Carrie, we've got a short list of remakes that we enjoy. And this is this is one of the them. top of, yeah. one of, of that list. And um, not just those two in it, but Christopher Mintz Plass. Everybody knows him as McLovin from Superbad. Um, he plays a really fun, maybe more cynical version of Evil Ed. But you've also got to mention David Tennant, who's delightful as his version of, of uh, Peter Vincent. Anyways, my one of my few complaints about the remake is the CGI used. Um, damn, come to think of it, Emojin, is it Emojin or Mogan? Poots, the girlfriend, Tony Collette. Imogen. I- Imogen. Yeah. Im- Imogen Poots. So, um, Tony Collette, that's a sneaky great cast. Yes. Uh, and performances. Jake, thanks for reminding us about the the heyday of prosthetics because the Jaws mouth that they use with the CGI. Hey, zombie toots and ghostly puppers, let's behave over there now. They're getting they're getting restless. We're gonna ask you a couple questions Easy. and then we're gonna send you on our merry way. Zombie Toots, this is your opportunity. Tell the folks first why you love Fright Night. I love Fright Night because there's vampires and they can fly. Yeah. What else? What's what are what's your favorite character in that movie? Do you remember? Jerry. You like Jerry? Yeah. You know, that's appropriate. I feel like I'm Jerry talking to you sometimes. You know how much trouble you caused me, boy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you like that. Yeah. What about what about like music or kills? What do you like about that? Music. Yeah? You like it to sing, dance, and have fun. Not just music in general, zombie <laughs> dudes. Music from the movie. Do you do like you, the nightclub scene? Do you like remember the nightclub scene where he's got her in the trance? Yeah. The 80s music in this movie? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Ghostly puppers, I, you're smiling. You look like you're ready to go. What do you want to talk about with regards to the Fright Night? It's so cheesy. It just makes you chuckle at some points. It's it's just really funny. Yeah, what's one of your favorite like kills or vampire moments in the film? I would say probably Brewster. Yeah? When he turns into a vampire. 
No, no. he doesn't turn. Nope, he doesn't nope. turn into a vampire in this. No, his, his fr- girlfriend. Amy. His girlfriend does, and his friend Evil Ed does. No. But Charlie, Charlie yep. Brewster, maybe she's thinking in Fright Night too. He starts turning in Fright Night. He too. does in Fright Night too. Okay, maybe you're misremembering. Anyways, what? Why Ghostly Puppers? Is this a good one for horror fans that have been brought up um, with movies like this, like at your age? It's just spooky. It's not overly scary but it's spooky and some people might want to watch it so it's a fun loving spooky movie is what you're saying okay guys zombie toots ghostly puppers appreciate you sign out zombie toots any last words guys i like to hang out with you guys and i'll catch you next one okay ghostly puppers i know you're confused by that but what else what it, any uh, closing thoughts yeah i was kind of cringed out by that but um <laughs> bye okay love you okay we'll let you know when you can have tablet time for now just not out. right now no tablet time right now yeah uh-huh i'm just la- i'm laughing right now folks um yeah i know they didn't fully close the door to the dfm vault but um you know it doesn't matter how much you rehearse with a couple of nine-year-olds for them to be able to sit still in that chair for even five minutes is um a bit of a challenge they did pretty good overall but uh we tried prepping them ahead of time for a few minutes um as much as a nine-year-old wants to prep and uh I think I, they get in stage fright a little they bit. They definitely get a little stage fright. They they kind of feel the pressure of it. But um but anyways, no that that was good. But uh yeah, so let's move right along now that the two 9-year-olds are done gracing us with their presence. <laughs> um we can talk about the movie poster and tagline. There's not a whole lot to say with this one. Uh this is uh, I'll say there's really technically two in terms of just the US posters. Um by the way, where's Pumpkin at right now? Okay, good. Wow, she's behaved. She's very well behaved right Dang. now. We've had some episodes where she was going nuts, tearing the furniture and carpet apart. But anyways, you listen, when you look at this poster, there's this is the version that I like because it's got the co- more coloring to it. It's got the orangey glow of the Fright Night um, title, and you've got the yellow glow of the vampire's eyes of the cloud overhead of the, of the house. Um, and then just the, there's a lot of noise above the DFM ball. Um, I swear to God, they better not start fighting in the middle of this. I'm going to kill them both. (laughs) Not really, but the, even the moon Carrie. that's, that inspired me for the DFM logo, the moon at night. It's a look that I think that you can't go wrong with. Um, and in fright night, it is something that isn't talked about enough. They utilize a ton of like nighttime shooting, something I think horror creators can forget to do sometimes, and I think it's underappreciated. This movie and the shots of the night sky in like the first couple Friday the 13th, that's some of the best nighttime horror shots ever. And I, I know that kind of this movie and those kind of inspired us a little you bit. You cannot fake shooting in the dark. Like you can try. How about but, the old movies in the 30s and 40s? Like oh yeah. they tried faking the the nighttime shooting is like this is just the slightly, very slightly version of daytime. Yeah, they had just had version. screens and curtains that they would try to like make. Yeah, no, you cannot fake. Yeah, 
Well, what do you love about the poster? Because there's another one that looks exactly like this, but it doesn't have the orange and the yellow. It's just like all blue and white. Uh, First of all, I really like that you have the singular light on in the house. Mm. And it's Charlie's house. So you know that that is a room where that is key. Right now, you see this movie. That room's going to be key. And it pulls you in because it's like, oh, what's going on in that one room? Everything else is so dark, but something's happening. And then, of course, you have the the ghostly vampire face, you know. Well, and how about all the little it, creatures coming out of surrounding it, yeah. him? Yeah, yeah. Seeing, and then the again the glow of the stars and that moon is just it's white. It's like a bright white light that signals, hey, this is not normal. Um, here's something else that's not talked about with regards to how, and I thought they did a good, um job of showing the difference between when 1985 original was shot and then when the remake was shot there's something to be said about 80s horror films because especially ones that focused on a neighborhood like this one does so heavily um it was a classic neighborhood this was not like the cookie cutter um development and so you had more space you actually had more of the natural surroundings like the trees that were there before the houses were built are still there in between the houses i mean look at this house this is like an an old type house this yeah. is not something where it's like in the remake they're in that development in the yes. desert and this one house after another after another well, it kind of removes some of the atmosphere and the mom's and the a realtor in that one yeah. So that kind of makes sense because they're living in the new development because she's a realtor. And they focused on a lot of people moving out because of the killings that yes. were happening in the remake. Whereas this is more like a small hometown feel to it. Like yes. Like your original before things got so populated. Yes. Yeah, but I'm saying I, I think there's something missing from horror films without these kind of neighborhoods, these old time neighborhoods. It's pretty hard to find these old neighborhoods. Anymore. I mean, we live in one, we purposely sought one out. We could have lived in the new development and yeah. we just chose to opt out. Yeah. Oh, HOA is a motherfucker, <laughs> but, um, taglines. There's only a couple ones, you know, there's one that they utilize in the trailer. If you love being scared, it'll be the night of your life. I love that one. And then, of course, there's there's the other one, which is these are all simple, but they're effective. Uh, there are good reasons to be afraid of the dark. Um, I, I mean, I love them both. There's just not a whole lot to say about taglines with this one. Well, I think, and I guess like the most famous line to me in this one. You're wearing it. Is, is what I'm wearing. Yeah, that that's almost like they inserted yeah. like some one liners could double as an alternate tagline. Yeah, I mean, for me, that one could be an alternate tagline. And they made a whole other documentary title from Evil Ed's You're So Cool, Brewster. They yeah. made a whole documentary about Fright Night. Yeah. And behind the scenes and the cast reunion and whatnot. But um, I mean, welcome to Fright Night for real. Yeah. And of the way he says it. He doesn't even say it creepy. It was very matter of fact. Welcome to Fright Night. For, For real. real. Um, As he bites into that apple. <laughs> I know you almost got me an apple to bite on. I didn't think ahead enough. Yeah. When I went to this grocery store. That's all right. We can forsake a little authenticity for, um, you know. Listen, actually, I, I can't bite down into an apple anymore like I used to. I have to be careful. Um, you could still get that crunch from the slices. Oh, that's true. But, um, attention all shoppers. If you have a sweet tooth, we have a 
physical media and streaming for Fright Night. I mean, this is one, if you're just going to get the DVD that came out in the late 90s, you're only going to pay, probably could find it brand new for three bucks on eBay. But if you go to Amazon, the average cost is anywhere between five and nine dollars. The Blu-ray, you're going to pay a little bit more between 20 and 25 dollars. And the next thing I wanted to mention about that is they have a 30th anniversary special Blu-ray that's got a lot of extra features to it. But you're going to spend anywhere between um, probably 35 to to $100. It just depends on how good of a deal you can find on like eBay. But um, there's also, if you're a 4K, if you can do the 4K Ultra HD, that's averaging probably somewhere between 30 and $40 for that one. So, I mean, do you think 4K is worth it? Yeah, it is. I, I mean, a lot of places like Synapse Films and Vinegar Syndrome, um, and I, I know like, but what is it? Blue Underground is another one. But um, a lot of places are doing the 4K releases like Arrow Video and stuff. There, there is just a certain picture, you know, like the Blu-ray high definition is great. And that's what we don't have a 4K. I mean, we haven't been one to focus too much on that. Even some of these horror films that do the 2K transfer um, are pretty good. The picture is pretty good. I mean, once you get yeah. something that was used to being like TV, VHS quality, and you've bumped it up to high definition, that's good enough for me. Now that could be because... It's a generational thing. You know, maybe if you ask some of the Gen Zers, they might say, no, you need to get the 4K. It's a big difference. Because, I mean, we grew up in the age of of VCRs and my goodness. So for us, technology, anything, you know, our threshold's pretty low, (laughs) (laughs) I would say. Yeah, even uh, Ghostly Puppers has told me that she likes some of the grainy quality of the older films. But um, but, uh, Jake made a point about Tubi. Uh, I think we were talking Death Spa, and uh, which I know we we gotta watch that yet. But um, he was just saying the one thing about Tubi is that they they'll transfer stuff over and they'll have it available, but it, they don't always they're not putting it in a high definition. So like that body count movie uh, that I watched, I told you about. Um, it's on Tubi, but it's only like 480 pixels or something like that. It looks better than if you got it on VHS. Sure. But it's not high definition. If your purchases in the next half hour amount to $5 or more, we'll give you a bag of hard candies free. So anyways, moving right along to creators. Listen, the director of this is none other than than Tom Holland. And, and what else can be said about Tom Holland that... You know, he did, um, after Fright Night, he did things like Child's Play, which also has Chris Sarandon in it. We all know Child's Play. Um, He did direct a few episodes of Tales from the Crypt. I think three or four. He actually directed the Stephen King mid-90s one, Thinner. Mm -hmm, That's a good one. I always forget that he did that. Um, He did some episodes of the Twisted Tales TV series. Um, Did his own version, Tom Holland's Twisted Tales. And there's not a whole lot else to say. I mean, everybody knows Tom Holland's work. The big, the big two is Fright Night and Child's Play. Um, the cast of this movie, obviously Chris Sarandon and Jerry Dandridge, William Ragsdale is Charlie Brewster, Amanda Beers is his girlfriend, Amy Peterson. And she, she wasn't very well known at this point. No, and you know, uh, and I'll get into that in a little bit. Okay. Roddy McDowell is Peter Vincent. I mean, he's amazing and everything he does. Stephen Joffrey's. There's some things we could talk about Stephen Joffrey's career as Evil Ed. Um, 
One guy I don't know a whole lot about is Jonathan Stark, who plays Billy Cole. Now, the mother, who played Judy Brewster, the mom, Dorothy Fielding, uh, she had a nice career, too. You had um, Art Evans as Detective Lennox. He was in a lot of TV series and movies throughout the the 70s and 80s. Um, You had Stuart Stern as a cook. Um, And we're going to get into some of that other cast a little bit later. I mean, there's something in the background of this movie that works so well, which is the news broadcast news broadcast you had chris hendry as the newscaster and if you look closely on the fright night show with peter vincent that charlie's watching on the tv they have archive footage of christopher lee in some of these films yeah now they're not saying that oh this is the scars of dracula or whatever this is they're just splicing it together with the fake fright night stuff um and passing it on as this fictitious show you've got heidi Sorensen as a hooker um you've got um Oh yeah, that scene in the bedroom where he's overlooking and he's seeing that—that's a very seductive scene. Yeah, Pamela Brown, Miss Nina. Um, so, Carrie, do you have a favorite role? A Chris, I've, maybe this is a, an easy question to answer. It Fa- is. Favorite Chris Sarandon role? I think you're sitting right next to the movie poster right now. Outside of Fright Night, what is it? What's your favorite role? Oh, it's Humper the Princess Dink. Bride. Humperdinck, Humperdinck, Humperdinck. <laughs> I loved him, and he was. I loved him in that role. I'm going to be seriously put off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's such a dry, dry character Yeah, to play. And, it, and I think it works so well even in this Fright Night because, again, it's another dry character. Mm-hmm. And he plays it very, very well. That That's an easy pick for me, too. That That's up there. I'm actually going to go with something. Maybe not a lot of the, I don't know. Maybe a lot of people have watched it, but the younger horror fans, he played a character named Leon alongside Al Pacino in Dog Day Afternoon. Um, Excellent performance that was really ahead of its time. Google that one, guys. Um, Guy robs a guy and his partner rob um, partner in crime, Rob Banks to fund his lover, Al Pacino's lover, who is Chris Sarandon's sex change surgery. This is a 70s yeah, movie talking about that. that. Way ahead. Um, you could share this film, this Dog Day Afternoon, to students today, and the discussion would spark um, uh, that'd be a valuable discussion. So uh, I, I love Chris Sarandon. But um, let's talk about William Ragsdale for a minute because, you know, if you can't get enough of William Ragsdale... You're going to have to work a little bit hard to get a ton of William Ragsdale. Uh, he had a show in the early 90s, and I actually remember watching a few episodes of this. Um, you have the opportunity to watch 72 episodes of a TV series featuring him called Herman's Head. And they had four different actors playing different parts of his personality that aid in his choices. Frank Azera is one of his personalities in it. So the different parts of his psyche are saying, you know, maybe the macho or the the manly part or the sex part is acted one way. The reasonable part is a woman. Um, so it's basically like split personalities. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's actually a pretty good show. I know it's ranked pretty high. It's like seven point something on IMDb. So if you're really up for binging William Ragsdale to the nth degree, check out Herman's Head. Um, we actually talked about Williams Ragsdale one other time this season, Carrie. We had a bonus episode with Jake where we talked about the Chainsaw Awards in Renfield where he plays an older priest in and Renfield. And I was so excited. Yeah, that was so cool. Now, we're going to talk about uh, the sequel to this movie a little bit later, but I actually noticed something in the sequel where he has the red cross wrapped 
around mm-hmm. him. He's wearing something similar in Renfield. So they actually they actually have a Fright Night 2 ode in Renfield with the priest kit up that he's wearing. Um, and of course, yeah, he returns as Charlie Brewster in the Fright Night sequel. Um, that's not great, but it's pretty good. It's I mean, solid. We think anyways. It's, we'll f- it's solid. If yeah. you're a fan of Fright Night, I think you'll definitely yeah, you enjoy should watch it. it. You should definitely watch it. it it's fun. It's solid. Um, Roddy McDowell. Yes, he played Cornelius in parts one and three. He was not in part two. Uh, and then Caesar, the offspring in four and five in the Planet of the Apes anthology. Well, it's not really an anthology. It's a saga. Uh, I loved him in a season one episode of The Twilight Zone called People Are Alike All Over. Uh, and of course, we recently discovered him in the introductory episode of The Night Gallery uh, uh, called The Cemetery alongside the great Aussie Davis, who was in Bubba Hotel. He was, vi- <laughs> he was vile in that night gallery Yeah, episode. so if you're used to the idea of writing a role where he's kind, naive, confused, but generally good-natured, not in this episode. Nasty character. Um, if you're looking for a different Roddy McDowell role, check that out. Um, Jake, you're the man. Jake sent us the Night Gallery collection on DVD and introduced us to this wonderful series. We added that to our nightly routine. Yeah, we, got, we haven't watched it in like a while. We got to get yeah. back to it a little bit. Because um, it's just got the spooky eeriness to it without being nightmare-inducing, especially for the young horror fans. But um, Stephen Joffreys, let's talk about him for a second. Um, I've got to note the part that he has. It's not a big part in the movie At Close Range, the homicidal, tension-filled father-son relationship movie with Christopher Walken and Sean Penn. Remember me showing you that one? I do. Uh, and yeah, Chris Penn's there. Kiefer Sutherland's in that movie. Um, creepy as fuck. Crispin Glover's in it. Mary Stewart Masterson might have given the performance of her entire career in that movie. And ugh, God damn, that is a heavy... That yeah, is. few is right. Few. That's a heavy one. Perhaps my favorite role of Stephen Joffrey's, and you need to see this one, Carrie, is called 976 Evil. People dial this number and receive spooky powers and turn into evil maniacs. I could see that. Yeah, it's a fun I one. Could see, I could see that, especially with his role yeah. as, as Evil Ed. I mean, if you think about it, it's not a far off. Yes. And so what else did Stephen Joffrey's do? We'll go on IMDb and or go and he's done a ton of gay porn. <laughs> that, oh. that, that's that's a big part of his career. Okay, cool. Yep. So favorite character. And we kind of didn't really talk about this ahead of time, actually come to think of it, Gary. But I mean, I think I mean, it's your your obvious choice, right? Yeah, Chris Sarandon as, as, as Jerry Dandridge. Although close second, I do uh, you're not going to let me pick one. You're just going to pick multiple in a row. This doesn't feel fair. Where's that xylophone at? You're getting off track. Where is it? <laughs> oh, she hid it away so I can't even reach it. God damn it. Just hold on. No. Yes. You're going off track. Where's that xylophone? <laughs> you're off I track. I did it. Not really. I'm just teasing you. No. Close second, though. I do love Charlie Brewster. I do. Oh, that the, I, yeah. actually, I'm surprised by that. That that's your second favorite. Okay, well, look, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Billy Cole. He's my favorite character. I think in a in a cast that is excellent and filled with great talent. I'm gonna go with Billy Cole because um, there's some things that we need to talk about with regards to Billy Cole. There's lots of questions surrounding the Billy Cole character, but. Um, just wait a hot friggin' minute, Carrie, because we have a bonus K 
character segment this wait, episode. Wait, before we get into Bonus that. Bonus segment. And no, this doesn't count as off track, so put the xylophone away. Wait. What? Before we get into that. Jesus. Because I know where you're going. Actually, we need Jesus in this episode if we're yeah. going to fend off of vampires. Sorry, so, go ahead. Listen. What? Now, this is a bonus thing. What is your favorite character relationship in this movie? Because there are so many character dynamic relationships. I'm going to... The gut reaction, and I think this speaks to the time in which this movie is made, and you're, it's not going to be the one you think it's going to be. I'm going with Charlie Brewster and his mom. Because his mom is not all that present in his day-to-day life. It is a reminder that this was made in the 80s and that teenagers were pretty much, in a lot of families, left alone to do what they needed to do. She is so oblivious to what Charlie is experiencing. She's inviting Jerry over, you know, completely clueless, leaving notes for Charlie. Hey, I got to go to sleep. I got an early shift in the morning. Your dinner's in the fridge, heated up to this. Dinner's in the fridge or the oven, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever evil adds it. Dinner is in the oven. I forget what the phrase is, but it's a funny line. Um, but no, she's she's kind of like it's not an absent parent, but it it's so funny to see how kids were pretty much left to like you know not alone, but just she's just kind of there. It's a fun role, but she's just oblivious. Well, to and everything. she's a single mom. She's a single mom. You don't that, know, and, really know what happened to and the that's, father. Yeah. That's why I picked that relationship because Charlie's on his own. There's no going to his mom for help. And actually in the remake, they really emphasized the mom. They did. So that was a little bit a different take. Different dynamic. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going with that one. How about I, you? I actually, it's not going to be what you think it is. Okay. Because the typical relationship that you would think would be between Charlie and Amy, right? Mm-hmm. No. My favorite dynamic is actually Peter Vincent and Charlie. Yeah. They're, they're, that's like a bromance in the making. But it's also like a, a mentor-mentee yeah. relationship, too. And it, and at first, it's a it's a... TV horror host and crazy fan relationship. Right. And they're both really, really scared. They're all very scared for and Charlie's well being. They have to like come together. Talk, talking and about like, vampires. Yeah. They like bring each other up and to be brave. That's a really good point. Like they have to, they're, they're really scared, which brings a lot of just genuineness to the, to the roles. And even Peter Vincent is like, he curls up and he says, oh, I'm scared, Charlie. And he's like, be brave, Mr. Vincent, be brave. So they're, they're having, it's yeah. not like they're going in guns a-blazing. No. They're like really hesitant and really scared, which makes the execution even better when they do finally face Jerry in the end. Um, but wait a second. See, you went too far and you got off the guide and that xylophone should be hit another time, but I'm going to let it go. <laughs> bonus character segment okay we've got a guy by the name and i've got two actually nick savage hello bouncer number one if you're a friday the 13th fan this bonus segment is for you and if you're a member of the nick savage fan club well you're probably also the founder president and treasurer but no his his career only lasted a little bit over a decade carrie um we've got not only this role as the bouncer, but if you go a few years back, he played Ali in Friday the 13th Part 3, okay? One of the biker dudes. Yes. Um, he was in an episode of Murder, She Wrote, 
<laughs> this role in Murder, she wrote as Leather Guy. <laughs> nice. Uh, he was in a, an episode. He actually had Luke, a full name in an episode of Knight Rider in 1985, Lucas Hall. He was in an episode as Calvin Sykes and Matlock. He was in an episode of Hunter, which not too many people talk about Hunter, Zach Sherman. Um, here's something else, too. He was he was an uncredited role in Coming to America, the toothbrusher. Okay. He was also as the gambler in, in Harlem Nights. He was in the TV series in the Heat of the Night. I love that. He was in the he, he was in the TV series of Swamp Thing, Guard Number One. Okay, so you can't really find an interview with Nick Savage, but Nick Savage fans, this is for you. And I quote from page seventy nine from the Crystal Lake Memories: The Complete History of Friday the Thirteenth. He goes on, Mister Nick Savage, to say, with regards to his Part Three role. I had never even heard of Friday the 13th before. I don't even like horror movies. They're not my cup of tea. So that's really interesting. That is. He goes on to say, and this was part three I was going to be in, but my agent sent me to this audition anyways for a gang member, and I just bought a motorcycle. So I rode right up to the window of where they were holding the casting sessions. Steve Miner looked down to me on my bike and just said, okay. Um, but hey, at the time, I was grateful for the part. Never turn down a job. There is no small part, just small actors. So you're not going to get a lot from Nick Savage. And he actually, in the early 90s, he uh, retired, uh, seemingly. Um, but here's the other thing to note. You can't... He was in. He had a reoccurring character uh, of... of um, I can't remember the character's name. 12 episodes of TJ Hooker. Okay? That's not nothing. That was a big show in the early to mid-80s. Uh, now this next bouncer, bouncer number two, and yes, this is important if you're going to dive deep into Fright Night, and I do mean deep, uh, Mr. Ernie Holmes, alum from Texas Southern University, a defensive tackle selected in the eighth round by the Pittsburgh Steelers, and yeah, guys, we're from Western PA, so we're Steelers fans. Sorry to tell you that, but not sorry. And Carrie, they don't do eight rounds in the NFL draft anymore. No, don't they do six? Seven. Oh, yeah. See, I thought they did six. Yeah. Uh, I guess at this point they have like the undrafted free agents you can add to the roster after the uh, the draft is over. So pretty much pretty much, Ernie Holmes was the equivalent of an undrafted guy who made the roster. Which and, is amazing. And then became a starter. Um, and while back in the 70s, they didn't record sacks as a stat, the Steelers mentioned that he had, they went back and looked at film, 40 sacks in total as part of the Steel Curtain defense. Now, people automatically go to Joe Green, but every single player on that defense, in my biased opinion, should be in the Hall of Fame, including the entire line. Not not just Joe Green. Ernie Holmes, yeah, he wasn't there the entire time. Elsie Greenwood, especially Elsie Greenwood, and Dwight White. And let's face it, when you talk about defense in football, yeah, and we're well, talking about thing. American football, yeah. Sorry, specify that. Not international soccer. Yes. You have to mention the still curtain. Yeah. You have to. Well, some say that the 1976 dealers who didn't even win the Super Bowl that year because of injuries and whatnot were actually in the best defense. So the, the fact that they won four Super Bowls and there was still another couple years where they had the best defense, but they didn't win the Super Bowl. Um, I mean, they took an entire decade of football. Um, we could go off on a whole tangent, yeah. but I don't want to hear that xylophone. Um, 
sure, no one could stop Mean Joe Green, but Ernie Holmes, bouncer number two, okay, was considered the most feared man on a defense full of guys that opposing teams feared for a few years there, okay? We're t- this is, this is, he shared a team with a guy named Jack Lambert who took his dentures out and looked, people called him a vampire because of the way he had a big gap in the middle yeah. and the teeth hanging off the side. There's that iconic picture of him sitting on the bench with the gap in his teeth and the towel over his head. Okay, you have that guy on your team and Mean Joe Green on your team and Mel Blunt in the secondary just completely slamming people. They, this team that Ernie Holmes was on, they changed the rules of football because of how hard they hit and how mean they were on the field. Um, you look at some of those tackles, they were just brutal. Oh my God. Yeah, defensive tackle Ernie Holmes. In 2008, our beloved Ernie Holmes passed away in a car accident. Now, if you want to talk his career after football, yes, it is short. He was in an episode of the A-Team, the fourth season. Check it out if you want to see Ernie Holmes more on the screen. The A-Team is fun. (laughs) But this one's for you, Jake. There is a Kansas connection with Ernie Holmes, not the state, the band. He was a Wrangler, part of the crew on a live album they did. And if you watch very, very carefully, you can catch him on the DVD of that live performance. Okay. Couldn't find, uh, couldn't find an interview with Ernie Holmes about his time with Fright Night. I admittedly didn't do a deep, deep dive on that, but I wanted to see what else he did. And that's about it, folks. Um, I think after the Steel Curtain days, you could say he had a great career, but he just, he dabbled a little bit in entertainment. But um, let's move right along to favorite death and effects. And I'm going to kick it off, okay, by just saying mine is the same as my favorite character, the live-in handyman, Billy Cole's death. We all see he kind of the green goo, he starts melting away, yeah. and you see his skeletal skull as he's melting away, and his kind of the jaw drops on the skull. Um, it's not known to this day what Billy Cole actually was. He's not a vampire. You have to think about this. He was able to go in the sunlight in this movie. Um, he had superhuman strength, he could survive gunshots. So here's a few things. People think that he's been, he was a zombie. Somebody say a revenant. I have to say, I don't know what the hell revenant means, but a ghoul or a demon. I always thought he was a ghoul. Even a golem, which is a very specific type of ghoul. Okay. Um, Some say he might've been a half vampire. I'm going to tell I agree with you on the ghoul or the golem. I don't see zombie at all. Okay. I, I, I guess they say zombie because of the green. Goo. I mean, he's just and he's he's definitely undead. He's some yeah. form of undead, and I'm gonna go with a ghoul, especially since his role is to be the bodyguard, watch over the coffin. Ghouls were known to go. Now the real role of a ghoul in literature and horror is that they're down in the crypts eating dead bodies. Yes, that's that's a ghoul's role, and then it kind of morphed into. The mysterious figure who's always around a graveyard, or always, a, always like the caretaker around the undead, doing the bidding and making sure that their their slumber's not disturbed, and all of that, yeah. and helping to clean up. And yeah, now I've got to, I've got some bonus thoughts here. Without getting okay. off track, I have to mention Evil's Ed multiple, um, his multiple transformations. From the letter reading moment we mentioned earlier, dinners in the oven or whatever he says, when Peter puts the the cross on his head to the wolf transformation. Um, Stephen Joffrey's is amazing. And his moment at the end with the glowing eyes and dialogue, 
That reminds me there was a sequel that never was. Okay. And Carrie, Amanda Bierce. Listen to this. Miss Married with Children. When she turns, yes, the Jaws mouth Jake's talk about is awesome. But listen to this. When she is changed into a vampire, Carrie, they actually gave her character bigger breasts. Okay. That Bierce found this enhancement they made years later in like storage. She brought them to a convention, wore them, and encouraged fans taking pictures with them to feel them for the picture. That's that's awesome. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? That is. I thought that was a really cool thing. So how about you? What about death and effects? So I, I just I have to go with Chris Sarandon, Jerry Dandridge. I mean, the glowing orange contacts, the long fingertips, you know, the pencil through the hands. I mean, it actually makes it more realistic kind of like so more scary did you know that whenever he was sitting in his chair for like eight hours at a time while the the crew the special effects crew that was working on that jake mentioned was working on his face chris sarandon actually helped to work on the fingers that that's cool that is really cool um i i mean the flying jerry you know <laughs> Just <laughs> flying overhead, scaring, you know, Brewster and everything like that. It was just a neat touch. The little bitey vampire yeah. creature. Now, now that wasn't Sarandon. Obviously, that was like a little creature they created, right. of course. But, but it's his character. Yeah, that, that was a neat way to show a vampire in its true form. It's, I guess, I don't know what we call it, final form, but it's most demonic form. Yeah. Okay. And, and then, of course, you know. Yeah, the death. The death. Again, yeah. Where he's just caught in the sunlight and he's trapped by the windows breaking in the sunlight. I mean, he's trying to get away. He's trapped. He, and he's caught a blaze. And, and just, it's a really cool, like, firework death almost. Uh, you wonder if in Lost Boys with the death by stereo death looked like fireworks going off if they took from Fright Night. Like, if that's because it's a yeah. very similar type it death. Is. It's done better in Fright Night to me be just because of the explosion and the green flame that's involved. And, and you, it signals, I mean, basically, you also have Amy, who is also trying to go to him into the light and, and, you know, sacrifice herself for him. And he's calling to her, and you have literally Charlie Brewster laying on top of her, trying to keep her down from being killed, because he knows... In basic vampire lore, if you kill the head vampire, you turn back if you don't feed. Yeah. So I really want an apple right now. <laughs> I'll get you one. Um, Carrie, what's your rating for this awesome classic that we keep revisiting and rewatching a million times over? It's a four out of five for me. It's it is flawed. It is flawed a little bit. I'm not going to deny that. I'm I'm curious because I I don't hear a lot of people talk about flaws. I wouldn't say it's a perfect movie either. I'm going to rate it four out of five too, which brings us back around. We haven't used this rating in a long time. Four out of five flamethrowers. It's back. I I love using the flamethrower rating system. So anyways, so so why is it flawed? Well, it's flawed because for me, I think some of the editing for me, like there's a little choppiness from one scene to the next, especially in the school. Like you have the different scenes in the school. 
it's yeah, a it's a little school, bit choppy. The school scene threw me off too a little bit. I can see like and guys, we're nitpicking. Yeah, we're nitpicking because it's a great film. But um, I would say that. And actually, what I didn't like was the overhead shot when you would hear the whoosh of him flying. Like he would jump off the roof, and you would hear as he was flying, but you didn't see him. Like I would have actually liked to seen Chris Sarandon on a line flying yeah. or floating or something. Versus, on the other hand, they could have really screwed that up too. That yeah. could end up really taking you out of it and yeah. looking cheesy. So, you know, again, we're nitpicking. Great, I, great, I mean, great vampire film. And let me tell you. Arguably the best 80s vampire film. There are some very seductive scenes in this movie. Oh, yeah. Let's very talk about that for a minute. Scenes. Yeah. So me I like you. <laughs> I would say there's there's at least there, four there's or at five. least three there's at least three really well-known ones so that but, you go to okay but not even just the chris sarandon seductive like standing above her shoulder line you know kind of caressing her breast but just even even um the uh amy charlie scenes of them it's it's very innocent them laying yes. on the floor of his room it's yes. like a very typical sexual frustration teenager moment right you know you have the whole pressuring the girl to have sex for the first time (laughs) you know it's like it shows you the dynamic between boys and girls what's funny is here's something think about this when he starts claiming that he's got the coffin and the vampires going on across the street amy's actually the one getting pissed off with him because she's sitting there with her blouse open and she's like are you gonna make love she's like i'm ready are you gonna make love to me or not and he's over there with the binoculars not paying attention to her it's like i'm gonna go up to him and slap him say hey um got something more interesting going on behind you asshole (laughs) but um no yeah very well done real like teenage teenage sex moment because he is so enthralled and nobody believes him. So it's almost kind of manipulative. I would the, almost say he's in a trance. He's in a trance, but she starts like saying, Oh, you're crazy. Like she wants to take this further with him. And so she's not going to easily say, yeah, I believe you. Like she's trying to snap him out of it and get him focused on her. And actually <laughs> she's trying to trick him. The whole, what? she paint uses her, uh, what cod money she uses her certificate money she goes and gets her certificate money to pay peter vincent oh you're right holy shit i forgot yeah, about all that she's trying to trick him into believing that he is not like he saw like he didn't if see he, something if they get if they get his favorite horror host to say hey kid relax he's this not isn't real. real yeah 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 and when they call jerry and say like either basically coming to terms on what he's willing to allow and oh no i can't do holy water i'm you know born again christian and stuff like that like that whole dynamic of going into that you see they're like oh we don't need to go out tonight charlie's coming to us you know Mm -hmm. the whole thing and then the whole really scene where peter vincent realizes oh my god this shit is real with the mirror oh yeah the mirror the little mirror yep yeah He's like getting the getting, I'm the, getting GTFO getting out, of out of here. Yeah, um, that's a good one. So yeah, guys, I mean, four out of five. It's well, this is a great one. Well, then it's not just that. You Do have, I need to hit the xylophone here? Stop. <laughs> you have the nightclub scene. Oh yeah. I mean, good point. That good that point. is a go-to. The soundtrack. Yeah. Come the first, to me. Come to me. Just yeah. the overall theme. 
But the very first seduction scene that you see outside of Charlie and Amy is Sarandon with the hooker. I mean, you have Charlie just looking and staring at the window before. I mean, that scene. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. I almost wonder if it would have worked if you would have had. They did this in the remake where you had uh colin farrell's character trying to seduce the mom they didn't go that route they kind of hinted at it with her inviting him in and um oh i'll come over anytime you know yeah um your mom invited me over i plan on coming over uh whenever i'm paraphrasing he says in fact whenever i feel like (laughs) and the mom's all for it she's like this is a good looking guy oh yeah um but charlie's he can't believe his mom invited him in, committed the cardinal sin of inviting the, un, unspinounced to her, the, the vampire in. But um, guys, that brings us up to, we're getting closer in intermission here. What's up next for next week? Episode 30, Burial. 31, Double Date. 32, We Summon the Darkness. 33, Daybreakers. October, not too far away now. We're going to do our Halloween 25-8-366 month, kicking it off with the original Friday the 13th. Episode 35, the super effing long, fully extended episode where we're talking the 1984 unofficial Crystal Lake Massacre trilogy of 2, 3D, and the final chapter, much to Carrie and Jake's dismay in one fucking episode. I mean, seriously, you know whenever we have Jake on, it's any, anyways, it's longer in general. They had, they had it with me by the time we got done talking about the Howling and the Howling 2. You like really have to go through the Howling 2 discussion? Yeah, we do for 50 minutes. And we're going to listen, guys, for the first four movies between episode 34 and 35, we're going to do nominations for different Friday the 13th awards for the different characters, like best douche or biggest douche, um, most slutty or most resourceful, most, the counselor that you'd want to hang out with the most. I don't like most slutty. No, I don't like that. Most slutty. No, (laughs) no. Most free. Most free. There we go. Okay, all right. Okay. Um, I think there is a couple of twins in the final chapter that could be nominated for most slutty. Don't tell me that there's not some sluttiness going on. Come on now. That term is outdated, and that's a double standard. You don't refer to men (laughs) as sluts. Oh, oh! There's there's two sluts in the final chapter. Two male sluts, Teddy and Jimbo. They're a couple of sluts. I'm not. This is an equal opportunity slut shaming here over here. <laughs> there's plenty of sluts to go around. <laughs> Let's just do away with that term. We are in an '80s slasher movie. I'm using the terminology of the day. We ha- we can't erase history here, Carrie. We got. I'm use not the talking about erasing history. Just Listen, word choice. There's sluts in this word. Movie. Choice. There's male sluts. Word choice. Male sluts are throughout. Male sluts are throughout. There are people that still identify as sluts. <laughs> so, okay. In episode 36. We're going to have it out over the slut terminology. John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness in episode 36. Yep. Episode 37. Another full episode where Jake's going to lead the way that time. The Midnight Traveler is going to show us the way discussing perhaps his favorite zombie film. Return of the Living Dead. Guys, that's it. See you for segment two, horror, etc. Where we're going to talk a little bit, just a little bit, about Fright Night 2, 
aka let's bowl tonight <laughs> and um we're gonna talk about our top 15 and i don't know why i said 15 with some honorable mentions most rewatched horror movies love you guys see you soon the halloween hall of fame will continue after these messages the Halloween experts at Magic Manor have everything you'll need this year, including actual character masks from famous motion pictures. And they can show you the proper application of makeup to impress that special someone. Magic Manor's professional hand-painted custom masks start as low as $2.50. This Halloween, remember Magic Manor. Wigs, masks, makeup, costumes, shockingly authentic. Magic Manor, East Wind Mall. Introducing Spooky Goop, horrifying monster makeup you make up at home. Spooky Goop's bubbling lizard lips, bat bones, and toad toes create a ghoulish goo that makes a monster out of you. Now that's the face no mother could love. Spooky Goop, spine-tending makeup for Halloween or any unearthly occasion. Watch out for him. It started to happen again. Dad! I'm in trouble. You've had some scary dreams, okay? Help! Daddy can't help you now! Freddy is back on Elm Street, and he's not a welcome visitor. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 2. Freddy's Revenge. Rated R, from New Line Cinema. Now showing at a theater near you. Alright guys, we are back. Carrie, let's talk. Let's dive right in. Maybe on the shallow end of this one. <laughs> uh, we won't we won't go as deep as we no. did for the Howling 2, okay? I'll spare you. Thank but, you. But I know for a fact that you enjoyed watching Fright Night 2 more than you did the Howling 2. Oh, I did. Directed by Tommy Lee Wallace, the man behind our beloved Halloween 3. So I'm just going to start off by saying that one, and I didn't note this on the episode guide, why the fuck... <laughs> Is the Fright Night Part 2 DVD and or Blu-ray so freaking impossible to find? And then when you do find it, I am not chalking up $100 plus for a copy of Fright Night you Part 2. You know why. Distribution. Well, and just they stopped. There, It's out of print. Somebody needs to pick it up and put it back in print. People need to see. People need to see Fright Night Part 2. Now, my biggest problem, and th- other than that, other than the DVD being more widely distributed and affordable, is that after a few years in this film, at the start of it, Charlie is persuaded by his psychiatrist and those around him to believe that the incident with Jerry in the original was just a mental breakdown. With the exception of Vincent Price. Yes, that's right. This time around, things are switched around. Charlie no longer believes or is convincing himself he shouldn't believe. And Vincent Price is the one that has to say, no, that actually happened. But the cast in Fright Night Part 2 is really, really underrated. Julie Carmen, whew, she's really saucy in this one. Um, in kind of a classy way, though, plays our main vamp. Um, score one for the ladies with the lead vampire. You know, this and Once Bitten has got the two female vamps. Um, in real life, Julie Carmen actually became a psychotherapist. She was on an episode of Tales of the Walking Dead. And also, don't forget, she was in Carpenters in the Mouth of Madness, too. So, Brian Thompson, speaking of the cast, as Bosworth, the guy who's the entomologist ghoul. Yeah. I am assuming he's a ghoul. 
Okay. I, he looks like to be a goal to me. And he's like the next Billy Cole in yeah. this. I loved him in Lionheart. I know you guys look up Brian Thompson. He's got a ton of smaller supporting roles all throughout 80s films. Um, one other thing I like besides Julie Carmen is William Ragsdale, who actually expands beyond just being paranoid, but he has to fight off his newly acquired vampire instincts. We get to see him with the glowing yellow eyes and fangs in this movie. Yeah, and he has to he has to fight the urges. Yeah. Um the makeup for Regine's true form is really awesome in this. It actually made me think of the look of the vampires in From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. Um John Grease, the guy who plays the werewolf in this movie. The very first movie there's two movies I think of when I think of John Grease. One being Real Genius, his mm-hmm. role in the Val Kilmer kind of collegiate genius movie, I guess. I don't know how else to say that, but also I loved him and um and now I'm gonna I'm gonna have a damn brain fart now. What's the other role I was gonna bring up? John Grease. Come on. Oh, uh, dude, Uncle Rico, yeah. Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. I couldn't believe I forgot that. And he looks totally different. <laughs> I think that's probably why he looks totally different. I throw football over them mountains. <laughs> you can argue, Carrie. That, I mean, the energy and comedy he brings to Fright Night Two is really important because the other ones are kind of playing it spooky and straight and dry. And he's got the werewolf energy and the comedy in this one. Well, um, the he's scene going in after the Charlie. library. <laughs> That, that's Charlie's like girlfriend. hilarious because he's like he's like i'm gonna have my fun yes he's like i gotta take him out to get to her mm-hmm. i got a real date now okay you could look at this as a problem i think it's one of the best parts of the movie is the whole bowling that they focus on so you could argue that the bowling scene is a ripoff of the bar scene from near dark i mean he actually is literally drinking the blood the blood from a beer mug that's yeah. straight yeah. up near dark yeah i can't remember when near dark doc near dark came out with uh in relation to this movie but um it's funny that the bosworth character freaks out from the head coming out of the bowling machine you remember that i do flipped out yeah he was so focused on bugs but he was flip flipping out by like a bloody head i thought that was interesting i thought that was a pretty cool moment of that head coming out of the bowling machine um well he likes things a certain way do you know why there was so much bowling featured here (laughs) carrie Probably because it was available. I mean, you could actually make the case with this whole bowling thing that a better plot would have been Charlie's mental health causes him to drop out, work at a bowling alley, and then the bowling alley is besieged by a woman that is a regular there waiting for him to close down. You could have a contained Fright Night, okay? Because it's pretty contained in the original. That's one of the problems I have with this. They went to too many different locations in Fright Night too. But if you think about it, because it's following Charlie to college... It's and if you think yeah, about it, you, you have to scenes. expand. You have to expand because your college experience is about Yeah, your world's exploring. expanding. Yeah. And then the other thing that I love about this movie is at the end, the communion wafers in the casket I thought was a really cool that touch. Is. What are your thoughts? I've, I went on a little tangent about Fright Night too, but what do you think about it? I mean, the whole female vampire sexuality reverse, I mean, she's basically... A slutty vampire. <laughs> I was going to say seductress. You knew I had to bring the word slut back after the first segment. (laughs) Do I have to xylophone you? Let's talk about sluts, baby. (laughs) You're off topic. Let's talk about you and me. (laughs) 
All right. <laughs> Let me talk about the awesome Julie Carmen. Go ahead. I'm done. I, I swear. <laughs> I mean, her plan to get back at Peter Vincent's character. I mean, let's face it. She basically takes over his show. I mean, for his character, oh, yeah, that's, that's all he has. Point. I mean, at this point, he only has his Fright Night show. And that's all he wants. That's all he wants to do. Hmm. And she takes that away from him. I mean, that, that, all he wants to do is work. That's all he wants to do. And then for Charlie, her revenge on Charlie is to turn him. Because, surprise, surprise, <laughs> she is Jerry's sister. You know, I remember whenever they revealed that, I was like, as a kid, I was like, oh, wow, he's got a sister. That's convenient. <laughs> but, it, I mean, it works. I don't have a problem with it being the, the sibling. Yeah. I kind of wish he would have mentioned that there was another one out there, but I guess it makes it helps with the surprise of the time. I don't know if this was made today of that reveal really would have worked. It would have been like the whole Michael Myers, Laurie Strode, Halloween 2 bit. Do you know what I mean? But like, think about it. The revenge. It would either yeah, have a, to part be. Part twos are usually revenge It would either movies. have to be a sister or it would have to be a former lover. Oh, think about it. The former lover out would have been cool. Think about that it. That he turned. Yeah. 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 So, but I mean, she, the, we know from the end of the original, the original sequel is supposed to be Evil Ed being the main antagonist in part right. two. So, by the way, the girlfriend, Tracy Lind, yeah, don't really know a whole lot about that actress, other than I do recall watching one time The Class of 1999, which is like about robots as teachers and their versus gangs. It's I guess it's like supposed to be the the sequel in spirit to class of 84 or something like yeah. that but it's actually pretty solid kind of guilty pleasure flick anyways the, i just had to throw that my in one there. question though they don't ever explain whatever happened to amy i mean obviously you know they went off to college and parted ways yeah you know i thought he mentioned something about losing his girlfriend at the very beginning when he's talking to the psychiatrist but anyways and can we say that little plot twist the psychiatrist being a vampire. That was, <laughs> was, was kind of like... That was one of the things that brought it down a notch yeah, for me. Yeah, I was like, this yeah, is not we're, believable. We're gonna, someday we'll do a full episode just on Fright Night 2, but um, just wanted to just lightly touch on that. Um, let's move on, Carrie, to the top 15 most rewatched horror movies. Now, this is this is our this top is 15. This is our rewatch. For now, anyways. Yeah. You want me to start it off? This was your idea, dear. Start it off. Number 15. Another vampire flick. Near Dark. Love that movie. It's such a classic. I I mean... Shit kicker heaven. Never tell you the one about Buffalo Bill. I love that. That's another quotable movie. I mean, you have Bill Paxson in that movie. Oh, Lance Henriksen? Yeah. I mean, those two in that movie alone... Makes it fantastic. That's a cold-hearted vampire movie. Yeah. Number 14. This is a tie for us, right? We're, we love Alien, but I think we love Aliens a little bit more. I was going to say, I'm just I, I, really, prefer, <laughs> I prefer Aliens. Really just happy that we have two movies featuring Lance Henriksen in our list. Um, <laughs> and Bill Paxton. And Bill. Oh, you're right. God dang. <laughs> Wait a minute. There's got to be. Bill, Bill Paxton or Lance Henriksen are somewhere else in this list. Maybe. 
Nope. No. Doesn't look like it. No, they're okay, not. Okay, so no, they're not. that's good. We got them. We got Bill Paxton and Lance Henderson twice in our list. What's that say about us? <laughs> <coughs> just love that era of films, I guess. Um, and I just can't. There's some movies I can't just go to part two. Like I can't just go to Aliens. I can because I've can't. seen no. I've seen Aliens so many times that I I can. But it's like, I'm like, if I'm going to spend the time, I want to, like, I almost like the anticipation of watching Aliens as much as actually just watching it. Like, I like the idea. I get this whole story leading up to her with the Space Marines. But anyways, number 13 is one of my horror crushes, Jocelyn Donahue in T. West's The House of the Devil. I'm still hanging on for that. What? Hey, I didn't slut. I didn't. She's not a slut. Her roommate's a slut in that movie. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. <gasps> I got you to admit there's a woman that's a slut in a movie. <laughs> oh, I'm just having flashbacks to my first roommate. <laughs> Number 12. You just listen to what old Jack Burton says on a dark and stormy night. What is it? Of course, of course. Big Trouble Big in Little trouble China. China. Yep. I mean, okay. For me, we grew up back in the day where HBO was on, included with your cable TV subscription. This was one of the movies I saw on HBO when it first came out. I mean, my goodness, I stayed up late, probably had a snack with my dad, and me and my dad watched Big Trouble in Little China. I fell in love with that entire movie. We really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't we, Wang? No shit, Jack. I always, and this is crazy, I always wanted to dress up as part of that movie like i always wanted to you mean one of the girls with green eyes yeah oh cool i was gonna say if you would have said i want to dress up as one of the three storms that would have been even better oh i probably would have done that too i would have been like (laughs) hell yeah why haven't we dressed up in big trouble in little china outfits it's kind of ridiculous that we haven't well i mean well the kids are still a little young they're still like i want the inflatable dinosaur i want the inflatable alien or the at least ghostly puppers is upping her game on the uh that she's getting bloodier with the her outfits clown. she wants to do the ghostly puppers wants to do the creepy clown but um number 11 what's number 11 carrie because i know you actually yeah. would re-watch this more than i would I, I actually really like this movie coppola's dracula 92 i and mean i know that's probably sacrilege for some of you folks that say christopher lee's dracula should be on here yeah, yeah, you could. We could, but we're just not there yet. We're not. We we've, we've said this many times. We still have a lot of work to do when it comes to our hammer horror education. Yeah, uh, it's just oh, growing up. I mean, <coughs> the characters alone in Dracula '92. I mean, let's face it. You have I've Anthony Hopkins. Crossed oceans of time to find you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Dracul. I love this version of Van Helsing. And did you know that they almost were going to do a spinoff movie? Yes, and they should have. I really feel like they should have. And then have. there was a time in like the early 2000s where like Tom Cruise was like, I want to play Van Helsing. And then it just ended up being some kind of like underworld-esque moment with Hugh Jackman as Van Helsing. And I love Hugh Jackman. A, that's a guilty pleasure it movie. Is. I love it's Hugh Jackman. It's not terrible, but it's like, I, I really, it's got to take a lot for me it to It should have been that. much darker, in yeah. my opinion. That should have been oh, a much darker look movie. Look at him in Prisoners. Yeah. You're telling me it should be darker? Fuck yeah. A dark Van Helsing movie. I We need a hard 
R Van Helsing yeah, movie. Yeah, or unrated. Like, they just did The Last Voyage of the Demeter, which, by the way, is coming out streaming next week. Oh, yay. I really want to watch that. But um, they need we need a Van Helsing movie done right. Yeah. We really do. I need somebody to, like, get it on 35 millimeter film, um, make it a hard R. Or unrated. Or unrated. Yeah, well, I think, you're, yeah, I, I would be fine with it. I don't think this is ever going to happen just because of studios owning the rights and stuff, but just go hard, go a hard R. It doesn't have to be a gore fest, but I want it to be, I, I, I'd like for Dracula to be creepy again. Cause when yeah. 92 Dracula came out, it was creepy for it was. its time. And the, the brides of Dracula, even those sections, it could have, that could have been a hell of a lot more influenced. You could go as one of the brides of Dracula for me for trick or treat. No, <laughs> no. For cosplay? No. For role play? <laughs> Maybe we'll consider. You know what? Thinking about how ornate those costumes are, it's it's in the way too much. <laughs> Just forget it. <laughs> Get down to the meat and potatoes here. <laughs> Number 10. We are Wait. To- hey, what? I wasn't done with Dracula. Oh, this is a lot of time on Coppola's Dracula. Come on. <laughs> I got to play the bad guy to you sometimes. I got to give you a hard time. <laughs> Let's hear more about 1992's Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. Yes. Okay. Can we say, yes, Keanu Reeves was in this. And yes, while his performance was... Look, it is the man himself. Yes. (laughs) It's really... But I showed you an even cringier Keanu Reeves performance in 1986, Youngblood, where he plays the French-Canadian goalie. yes. Yes. It is terrible. Um, I'm not even going to try to repeat that. I couldn't even... I couldn't fake or try a real French-Canadian accent, let alone trying to impersonate Keanu Reeves doing a French-Canadian accent. Yeah. Uh, How did we end up here again? (laughs) But you have... Come on, and I'm blanking. You're the one that wants to talk Uh, about more about this movie. Yeah, what about her? What? I'm blanking on her. In Stranger Things, she plays Will's mom. Why am I blanking on her name? Oh, Winona Ryder. Yes. Oh, I was like, is there a point to be made about Mina here? Winona Ryder's character in Dracula's 92, it is very deep. Okay, so I'm going to be the Chad for a second and say, growing up, you know what scene I'm going to talk about. Why are her and Lucy making out at one point? Yeah, yeah, they do. Why? Why is that? Um, is that part of the trance that the Dracula's putting over them? I think that's part of it. Okay. And also, is that part of Lucy putting a trance on her because she's be. starting to change? It could be. Okay. Yeah. It's just it was like okay, they want to have the Dracula creature coming off the Demeter, having sex with Lucy in the middle of the garden. <laughs> And that's a creepy scene that when he's that creature scene. in the lightnings. He he's almost looks he's like, like a werewolfish. Yeah, and he doesn't want Mina to see him in that form. You don't see me. Don't see me. <laughs> that was creepy. That was. And the scene where you actually see him with his wings inside of the bedroom, that was creepy as hell, too. Now you're and making course, me want to watch this again. And of course, The opening, has, dude, the yeah. opening to Dracula 2, that's that might be my favorite part especially you have anthony hopkins as the priest in the beginning everybody talks about van helsing but he's like i damn you to hell yeah. like and he's like your wife is 
you know, she killed herself. So, and that's when he forsakes uh, the church. And and the dynamic between Gary Oldman and Winona Ryder, they have so much more chemistry than her and Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Poor Keanu. I know. I know you'd want to. He would. Well, he I would like to go back Ke- and redo I, that. He's even yeah. said that. I, he like if you look at how he got better with Neo and the Matrix. Mm-hmm. And of course, the John Wick. Like, I think he could just, he probably could have just played it more with, um, you know, I don't know how else to say this other than like more straightforward and quit trying so hard with the accent, yeah. maybe. And I did, I do remember from the documentaries or the interviews, he was super nervous because of the amount of talent on set. Well, yeah. Like, I he mean, took, he took one look at Carrie Elway's and Anthony Hopkins, Winona and Ryder, and, and this Gary is, Oldman. And this is Francis. Fucking Godfather Coppola yeah. making this like yeah. who the fuck am I basically? Yeah, is, is how I interpreted him talking. He about was it. intimidated. Yeah, it's just so freaking cool. He's like, and of course I'm talking like I know him, but just everything I read and hear about him, like him constantly like giving people money, him helping homeless people. He just here. It sounds like one of the coolest freaking dudes yeah. ever. So you know what? It just. Coppola's Dracula belongs on this list alone just because of how cool Keanu Reeves is. And I love I love Carrie Elway's character in this. Hit that xylophone because now you're turning this to the most top 15 Dracula moments. You are off track. Now it's time to get back on track with number 10, Halloween 4. Or this is about the daughter of Laurie Strode that they never revisited. <laughs> Uh, Jamie Lloyd. I, I love, I actually really enjoy Halloween four. It's gotten better over time for me, but I'm going to just tell you that number nine is a tie and people are going to get up in arms. Okay. Because this third one in the series is I, not related. To I have a preference. I have a preference too. And it might be the same as yours. Number nine is a tie between Halloween one, two, and three. And usually when we watch those, we have to watch the first three. At least the first two. I can't remember the last time we just watched one or the other. There's been times Halloween where we've watched three. There's been times where we've oh, just yeah, watched three. Oh, you're right. Just yeah. three. Yeah. But we've got to. It's like as soon as Hall- Halloween one ends, it's like, let's get right into Loomis saying, you don't know what death is <laughs> in the beginning of the second one. So which one is your favorite? Halloween two. Yeah. Halloween two, 1981. Now, Friday the 13th part two is my favorite slasher. It's top one of my top five movies that 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 one i'm just a big f13 fan but halloween 2 is nihilistic bleak mean-spirited um it's confined it's there's a containment factor yeah the score is improved they've got the dark synth score going on the kills are a little bit more brutal i think they introduce the controversial brother sister storyline yeah but um I just love it. I love Halloween too. There's something about it that is more sinister even than the first one, I believe. Um, and the idea that he, the tagline is more of the night he came home. She cannot escape him. Not even you think, think about our everyday lives. Like we just got attacked and we go to the hospital at this point. We're with responders we're mm-hmm. with nurses and doctors. They're supposed to be security we're supposed to be safe. Now I'm thinking with a 2023 brain but in that movie. Uh, this is one of the critiques of Halloween too. It's like, what's with the graveyard shift? I'm going to tell you right now, I don't have a problem with there hardly being any workers there. My hometown hospital. 
when I was a little kid, this is probably 1988, I had got uh, bronchitis really bad and was in the hospital for like five days, really bad. And at night, it was quiet and there was not a lot of people overnight. I would even say from 2014, <laughs> when I had given birth to the twins, the the night the night shift was few and far between. And this is a GBMC. Yeah. This is at a huge even hospital maternity. in Baltimore County. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it was it was creepy. There wasn't that many people. You're it right. It was creepy. So the idea of a graveyard shift is not, um, it's not that uncommon. It's really not. I and don't it, have a problem with it. Especially around holidays. Take, and you know what? Take your mind out of it and put yourself in this situation of Lori Strode following up the first one to the hospital. So number eight, Carrie, you talk about number eight. This is yours. This is your ultimate horror and movie. I, and yes, this is our list, but for me... I think this goes a little higher. Sure. For me. The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing, to clarify. I love this movie. I love how dark and bleak it is. Plus the scene. Oh, the special effects are amazing. The blue lighting on the snow is so cool, too. And it's beautiful. I mean, surviving in the Antarctica. I mean, that alone... You know the science yeah. station, the isolation, the isolation Outpost alone 31. can be. You know, people going mad and crazy and Man, stuff, and is that the warmest place to hide. <laughs> and then, then you add in this element about these aliens coming down and and burring, and then being dug up, and oh, <laughs> we're talking about the world ending and if it gets off and you never find out what really happens in the end it, you do you do if you read open, the comics well i didn't yeah. read the comics yeah i'm just saying there is a storyline out there that exists well i didn't read the comics <laughs> okay so okay i'm just commenting i was not into comics so personally i was into books so not that there's anything wrong with comics i just never read them Sounds like you're shaming comic book people. I'm not. Okay. Well, if you get to shame comic book people, I read books. Then I'm going to be able to <laughs> slut shame people in the Friday the 13th franchise. I'm not shaming. I'm just you're saying. You're just talking about how, oh, that's not for me. I'm into books. There's a preference. <laughs> just messing with you. You are more into comics. Take a look. It's in a book. No, not a comic book. <laughs> Let's face it, you were more into comic books. I just snorted. <laughs> That's usually me. Yep. But I, I love the score, and we have the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, and oh my God, it's the amazing. The Waxworks, yeah. The Waxworks, it's amazing, and it's beautiful, and it's haunting. Ennio Morricone, yep. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, number seven. Am I allowed to move on past You're the thing? You're allowed to move on. Thanks. Uh, Friday the 13th, 1980, the original. And we talk an awful lot about parts two through four, but the one that started it all, I'm actually like, if I know I'm going to be at least watching just part two, I will put on part one before I put on part two. And especially since we've got the opening of part two, I like the stuff with Alice and the lead in to part two. So, um, shout out to Steve Christie in the short shorts, um, who is kind of was in a relationship with the Alice ca- calendar character. And she's like, 
what up there working on the gutters and she's showing him the paintings he's like is that what i looked like last night and he looked angry in the painting um so obviously he's like hey why do you gotta go there's some things out in california i have to take care of and so he truly has a thing for her but i think at this point she's done with him yeah Um, or it's one of those things where she's put up with it just because she wants a good reference or something like that she's sleeping with steve christie for the reference might be so are you calling alice a slut no (laughs) oh she's just free Listen, it happens. Is it? I'm it not, ha- go- I'm not, going, here. Never I'm been not there. going here. I'm going to dig myself a hole. <laughs> I've never been there, but I do know that there are girls who will do it to get a better grade. There are girls out there. Oh, you mean like the creepy math professor at IEP? <laughs> that was just creepy. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. So number six, and it's we're kind of jumping around with this a little bit, but Friday the 13th, the final chapter. I believe that's Jake's favorite Friday the 13th. Um, that one, it's just because I watch part two so goddamn much is why I didn't rank that higher. I love I love six, um, the final chapter. I mean, our number six on this list, number four overall. And people are like, don't you fucking call it part four. It's called the final chapter. Yes, but it's the fourth movie in the in the uh, and and it's a lot what I consider the last of the best ones. Yeah, um, that one does have two male sluts in it who their entire characters are talking about sex with girls the entire time, and that doesn't make you a slut. But then they're willing to go from girl to girl to girl as long as they can get laid. Okay, and that's all they're interested in the entire movie. So there are male sluts in Friday the 13th. <laughs> but you know what, though? I'm going to retract that because what what else do teenage boys want to do I was in just the 80s say. movies? Except, like, they're just frustrated, right? So they're going to take it where they can get it, I guess. Um, and that is a double standard. I, I'm an equal opportunity slut shamer, okay? I said so there's guys and girls that are sluts in these movies, okay? Um and this is why we're going to have an argument come that episode. But we are oh going to give out. We are going to give out. We have left out one major movie. Okay. Well, we'll get to it. You you tell me where we screwed up at the end of this sucker. Yeah. Number five, Friday the 13th, part three, 3D. And I'm going to just say I'm going to leave out the 3D part. I, that one messed with my eyes. I know it really made you sick. Oh, it made me vomit. Not the and not the grossness. It was the three D. I get more enjoyment out of watching part three without the three D. There there's nothing about it where I say I've gotta watch this in three D. The only caveat to that would be if, if a local theater and within two hours of us says, Hey, we're playing three D and three D, I would have to find a way to go. Um I if just, it was I doable. I cannot with the schedules. do 3D. I cannot do three D. Yeah. Now number four, it's my favorite Friday. Part two, um, you could call it Jason's Revenge if you want. I but, think it's uh, the, my I, it's it's my preferred favorite yeah, of the series. That, that's that's my all time favorite of Friday the Thirteenth. It has my favorite it's heroine. My favorite slasher. Jenny's awesome. Amy Stills the she's the woman. But um, number three, we just got done talking about this a couple weeks ago. The Omen. Number two, Carrie. Fright Night, of course. And at number one. American Werewolf in London. Yep, we just wrapped up Taste of the UK Month with that However, one. However, there's a movie uh, what did we, we left forget? off. We've got some honorable mentions, too. Well, this this really should have been on the list. Okay. 
Scream. Oh, you know what? We do rewatch Scream quite a bit. Any, there'll be years where we don't watch it, or we don't watch it that much, or we'll only do like the first two or something like that. But um, when when we're in a year of a new Scream movie coming out, we will watch it a lot. So it really needs to be honest, because especially Zombie Two, he he really loves the Scream yeah. franchise. Yep, you're right. Honorable mention to Scream in the Scream franchise. But um, A Nightmare on Elm Street 1, but especially 2 with Jesse, um, Mr. Patton. He's awesome as a final boy, which is different. Not too many final boys even to this day. Number 2, the problematic... The problematic... (laughs) Not number 2. Part of honorable mention, Once Bitten. Yes. It's a little problematic, okay? But it's still really good. It's a lot of fun. I grew up with Once Bitten. I grew up in, again. This is another movie I probably saw on HBO. Just it, it that scene at the dance, hands off. I mean, <laughs> I wanted to recreate that scene so hands many times. Hands off, hands off. He belongs to me. Hands off. And the song when they're in the car, uh, the picture. Yeah. The synth song. And um, Jim Car- Carrey, don't, don't, don't. he he played that that role fantastic. Yes, so did uh, Miss Hutton as yeah. the uh, Countess. Yes. Um, how about Jim Carrey's got like a crazy Pacino impression? You get a glimpse of his career, what's going to come? Yeah. By him doing the Pacino impression, um, and of course the theme song by Three Speed Once Bitten, you won't feel no pain, boy. Lightning strikes. Oh. Um, and then to wrap up honorable mention, we've got Jake, your favorite. We rewatched this one a good bit too. The Howling. Not The Howling 2. <laughs> Creepshow 1 and or 2. I've actually rewatched Creepshow 2 more than I've rewatched Creepshow 1. And I have another one that okay. I rewatch over and over again. Not you. I think you can care less about this movie. What is it? Legend. Oh, uh, that's not a horror movie, though. It's adjacent. No. Yes, the devil. No. You're the <laughs> devil. Okay, the Prince of Darkness. Come on, Tim Curry as a devil. Okay, it's first of all, you had me at Tim Curry. It, I, it could be a horror, a horror adjacent, just on Tim Curry alone. Yeah. That does it for episode 29, you guys, and horror, etc. Love you, gang. Next week, come back. We're going to do one that's not really talked about much at all. That's recent within the past few years it's a shutter original called burial that means we're talking world war ii nazis and werewolves so what can you know yeah we'll see we'll see we we haven't even watched yet so when we do this episode we're going to be coming fresh off of the burial for the first time (laughs) fresh (laughs) off the burial (laughs) all right guys take it easy peace out